Vermicomposting is composting using those cute little slimy worms. Um, they are red wigglers. They're not earthworms. Um, but essentially, the process is you farm them yourself, and you feed them, and they poop out amazing fertilizer, which is what soil is. Uh, Nutrient-rich fertilizer to grow anything and everything, really. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 62 with Erica Backberg. Erica has been my friend for many years, and she doesn't live in a traditional tiny house per se, although she might argue that she lives in a tiny condo in LA. But I asked Erica on the show because she has been vermicomposting for over 15 years. Vermicomposting is using worms to break down your food waste rather than putting your food waste outside and letting microorganisms break it down. Composting is a challenging part of tiny house living, especially if you want to live in your tiny house in a city. Now, worms cannot be used with a composting toilet, but if you are creating food waste and you want to deal with it in a more sustainable way, Vermicomposting is something that can be done on almost any scale, from tiny yogurt containers all the way up to large bins. And if you're curious what vermicomposting looks like, Erica shot an up-close video of her worm bin. Now, if you're squeamish, you might not like it, but head over to thetinyhouse.net slash 062 to see the worms up close. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 062. All right, I am here with Erica Backberg. Erica is a non-traditional ethnographic researcher and macro impact solutions strategist. Using the human-centered design process, skills, and ethics, Erica investigates solutions and develops innovative ideas to help others create and implement their strategic goals. This has resulted in the successful defense of clients on death row to the creation of internationally acclaimed youth education content. Additionally, Erica has designed customized waste diversion and community-based sustainability programs for Target, Honda, Levi's, and more, diverting tons of materials and repurposing materials benefiting over 250 artists, families, and community organizations worldwide. Based in Los Angeles, California, Erica artistically expresses her passion for eco-ethical design through her social enterprises, Erica B. and Momo Monocle and has been urban vermicomposting for over 15 years. Erica, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Ethan. I'm so happy to be here. I'm super excited to have you here, too. We were just kind of chatting before the show, and I was saying how amazing your bio is. And then at the very end, it's like, oh, and by the way, she also has been vermicomposting for 15 years. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. So maybe we could just start with, like, what what is vermicomposting? Good question. Good question. All right. So vermicomposting is composting using those cute little slimy worms. Um, they are red wigglers. They're not earthworms. Um, but essentially the process is you farm them yourself and you feed them and they poop out amazing fertilizer, which is what soil is. Uh, Nutrient rich fertilizer to grow anything and everything, really. 
that grows out of the ground, obviously. But so uh, yeah. the so the poop that they create, you put that right on the plants. So it's not like I'm thinking of of like a humanure toilet, like the poop we create. We have to actually then compost that poop to make it safe for use as fertilizer. It sounds like you're saying that the worm poop is fertilizer. That's correct. I mean, there are processes to utilize it in the best way, shape, and form. Um, so, But you don't have to compost it on top of the composting process. Um, yes, their poop is ready to go, ready to put in your plants um, and give them the food they need. So it's a pretty cool process. Um, and yes, I've been doing it for 15 years. What is your vermicomposting story? How did you find it? <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting. Um, so my husband thinks I started 14 years ago. It actually started 15 years ago. Um, so I kind of got into it a little bit secretively, not on purpose, but that's just the way it worked. I knew he wasn't going to be into it. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. Um, but I was, um, as you mentioned, I'm an eco-jeweler and I was at a art fair at a museum and um, because my work is eco-ethical and I started 15 years ago, there was not very many eco-ethical designers. So um, in addition to artists, there was also people there talking about um, environmental sustainability. And one of those people, I'm from Minnesota, um, was a guy from the Minnesota Department of Ag Agriculture. And his name was Neil. Um, I remember him because he was a really neat guy. And then obviously... The next part of the story is he just gave me the worms. He told me about vermicomposting and how easy it was. And then he had, you know, an exhibit all about all these different things relating to Minnesota agriculture. And then he gave me some worms and he was like, contact me if you need help. Go for it. Gave me a little piece of paper and told me about how to do it. And, um, and that's how it started 15 years ago. So then I brought those home and, um, I put them in a really small container, like think like a sandwich, like a sandwich container. It was really small. And um, I'll talk a little bit more about best practices in a bit, but um, I just put it under the sink and I put the worms in there. <laughs> and then I put some bedding, which was just some paper, and then just started from there. It was really small. It was like I put some holes in it and it was that easy. It was just really easy. It's like a thought experiment, so. So maybe we could talk a little bit about about the process in general of vermicomposting. Because right now I'm envisioning a sandwich container of worms with some <laughs> holes in it. And like, I don't understand how this, how that turns your, your food scraps into fertilizer. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. So... Okay, so I'll kind of talk about the system that I have now and work backwards. So I started out really small. There was, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 worms. He just gave me a bag. I don't know. Um, and so how, how I have, I have one right now that's two five-gallon buckets, two stackable five-gallon buckets. So um, really what they are, they're number two plastic buckets. And um, I got them free. They're soy sauce buckets. So you can get them from a local restaurant. And number two is really important because that means that the plastic, it's food grade plastic and it doesn't leach into, um, the plastic doesn't leach into your food, into your compost um, because there is uh, a lot of chemical reactions going on. So you want to make sure that if possible, you can do that. Um, otherwise, you can just get any plastic buckets, but they need to be stackable is best. I didn't start out with stackable. I just put a tray underneath to collect whatever liquids 
occurred. So again, this isn't a science. There's best practices. And then there's just like starting out and figuring it out as you go to. So you start out with a container or two. Um, you put some holes, uh, I would say a couple inches up, depending on how large your um, bucket is. So that's the bucket with the worms in it. If you have two buckets, you're putting the stackable bucket with the worms in the other bucket so that you can collect whatever liquids come out. That'll be relevant in a second. Hold on. So, um, and then you want something to catch. If <laughs> Okay, we'll, we'll keep going. Um, if possible, you want a lot of surface space. Um, so like the shoebox size or the sandwich size container was really small, so I just put a little bit of food in there. Now, since I have larger buckets, I can put more food um, in there. And do you put and, the food on the top? Yep, we just put the food on the top. Um, and over time, you want to churn it because uh, you can get bugs. So if you, you can put it down in the soil. Also, the worms are sensitive to light. So you want to make sure that once you get your containers all set up, you have them in a cool space. Okay, um, so this some, is not something you can like keep on the porch. You can keep it on the porch if if you have a shaded area. So yes, you just want to make sure it's pretty cool most of the time. Um, if it's getting direct sunlight during the hottest parts of the day, no, then you don't want it there. But let's say you put it under um, some of your yard furniture, like a big piece of yard furniture under a big table. Um, you just want to check it to see. Like you want it to be relatively cool. But people do put it outside. Yeah, that's okay. All right. So, so now I'm getting a better picture. You've got two stackable food grade buckets the one on top has a bunch of holes in it. So does like what comes out of those holes? So once the food is eaten and um, it decomposes, well, first of all, you need them so that you can get air in there because this is an aerobic decomposition process. Um, like landfills are anaerobic. So they want to take out the air um, essentially because all of the chemical reactions that occur are not good for the landfills. So this process needs air. So that's part of the reason you need it. And then also the liquids that come from your food um, sometimes saturate the bucket. You don't want the worms to drown in the liquid because that's that can happen to the worms. Okay. So this way, yeah, they don't drown as well. Um, and all of the excess liquids uh, go out into the second bucket or a tray if you have a tray underneath how often do you have to empty the liquid out of that tray? Um, it kind of depends. For me, I'm not really picky about it. It's like every two months or something. Oh, I wow. think if you, yeah, if you're really meticulous about it, um, kind of when it starts to come out of this. So I also have holes in the second bucket so that the air gets in and out. Um, they're higher up on the second bucket so that it can, can collect more liquids um, and it won't come out, you know? <laughs> so I have two buckets and a tray. So when it starts to come out on the tray, um, if it, if I let it go that far, that's when I empty it out. <laughs> okay. So then you know, you know that the bottom bucket is full because it's overflowing. Right, right. Um, I would advise you probably not to get that far. But I think one thing that scares a lot of people is like, oh my gosh, I'm going to kill the worms. I'm going to do everything wrong. You know what? They're worms. Like they've been around for a really long time and you might screw up and you might kill some and that's okay. But they reproduce like mad and you can always get more worms. And I think the act of vermicomposting is so amazing um, and helps you create this amazing fertilizer and then also keep 
food scraps out of the landfill, that it's worth it to keep trying, even if you screw up a couple times. So I don't want it to sound scary. I think, you know, like this process, I want it to sound easy and accessible. You start with a bin, you put some holes in it. You can look all this up online too, but it's really, you start with uh, a couple boxes and bins, you cut holes in it to allow that um, aerobic composting. And then um, the, um, and then you can, the liquids will come out, um, get those trays, put starter. So the next thing is you put starter materials in. And so I usually put non-bleached egg cartons. You can put paper in there, cardboard boxes. Those this are is at the easy. bottom. This yeah. So before you put your, yeah, before you put your worms in, you want to put some materials so that they can start to eat it up. You can just put your food in too, but, um, you want to keep fibrous materials in there as well. Uh, when it, so that it doesn't get, um, too moist and mold and attract bugs and stuff. So I occasionally will put in uh, fibrous materials like that. Like, it's like called what, Like paper, you mean? Yeah, you can just put regular paper in. I'm kind of picky about what I put in. I only put or certified organic foods in mine and then non-bleached um, paper. So non-bleached egg cartons is really all I put in there in terms of uh, the fibrous materials. But Okay. Yep, you can put other things in if you want. I'm I'm assuming, and maybe this is the wrong assumption, but I'm assuming that at some point your inner bucket gets completely full of <laughs> fertilizer and it's yes. full of worms too. Yes. Like what is the process for harvesting that and kind of starting again? Cool. Good question. So um, so you put those materials in um, and then you put in your, your veggies and fruits. Well, don't forget to put the worms in. And again, the red wigglers, not earthworms. Um, depending on what your budget is, you could go buy them, you know, uh, at your local gardening store. Um, don't go to your local bait shop, not the same kind of worms generally. Um, you can put out a request on Craigslist, recycle. People often have them. I give them away. I sell them. I like just for fun. Um, and so that people are always often willing to give you worms. Um, and then, yeah, so then the type of food that you put in are fruits and veggies. Don't put any meat or dairy or acidic foods because the skin of the worm is very sensitive. Um, so meat is oily and that suffocates them. Same with dairy. So those, the fat in meat and dairy will suffocate the worms and the, the acid will burn the skin of the worms. So you don't want to put those kinds of things in there. Um, I sometimes still put like um, orange peels in there. I'm not really sure if that's copacetic, but I do it. And so far, so good. So far they've um, survived. <laughs> so far, most of them have survived. And if they've died, I don't know because there's so many in there. Um, okay. So then, so what it is when you take out the stuff, it's called harvesting to use it. So you, I don't know. Um, uh how, there's different. Okay, so the, this is like kind of the DIY version of vermicomposting. You can also go online, and there's a whole bunch of bins that are set up, and that makes this next process of harvesting really easy. So let's say there's four or five bins stacked on top of one another. Uh -huh. You kind of start uh, with the top, and then you rotate those bins. Um, so it's their stackable trays, and then once you're done with one tray, you kind of move the worms to another tray and start the process. If you have these two buckets, let's say, or bins, um, there's a couple ways that you can do it. Like you can take it all out 
um, and start over. Um, so how you would do that is you would kind of dump it all out in a, again, another cool space, um, put food on one side of like, let's say you have a, a three foot bin, like one of those that you put underneath your bed. Let's just say you're using one of those. Um, you can put food on half of it and then all the worms will go to that half and then you can take the other half of your compost and then harvest that. So you could do it that way. Um, and then switch over by putting bedding on the other side and then the worms will scoot over and then you can compo- uh, compost the rest. Does that make sense? Like you're yeah. kind of pulling the worms to one side or the other. That's a very methodical way of doing it. To me, that just sounds daunting and um, I don't do that. So how I actually do it is when I need my compost, I just take out handfuls um, from the bottom, the very bottom of the bin, because the top is where the, the worms are and there's no food at the bottom, so the worms aren't down there. So I just pull out handfuls from the bottom, um, put it in a glass bowl. Since the worms are light sensitive, they will go to the bottom. And then I, I kind of pull the compost from the top. I make sure that there's no, there's like these little sacks, which are, I don't know if fish, I don't know what they're called, but they're little worm. They're the eggs essentially that the worms create. And then thousands of babies comes out of it, comes out of there. So I, I try and make those little, I put those little sacks back in and I, get the worms. So I take a little bit of time. I don't want to kill any of the worms, do my best. And, uh, and then I just, yeah, I harvest the compost from the top and then I put the bottom part back. Got it. So it sounds like you're kind of continuously harvesting a little bit at a time. You're not doing like big batches. Yes. That's how I do it. Yeah. Um, and then when people want it or need it, I give it away. Um, and that's, yeah. That's, that's my process. Um, some people freeze it before using because they don't, just in case they have worms, they don't want them to get into their plants. Uh, I don't, Aren't the worms the like good way. for soil? I feel like they are. Um, they talk about them being invasive species. So if you are taking red worms and they're not indigenous to your area and then you're putting the compost out in your yard, um, that's kind of different than like container gardening. So I live in Los Angeles and all my plants are in containers. So there's not going to be any invasive species situations here, but that would be one reason that people have talked about freezing it and making sure that the red wigglers, if they're not native to the area, don't get into the ground. And yeah. Um, and then the way you use it, there's compost teas, which are a variety of different things. Um, essentially it's taking the compost, putting it in water And then some people add different things to that. Um, You pull the nutrients into the water and then they take the compost and lots of people, I don't know, it looks like some people don't use the actual um, matter, compost matter, but I do. I put it on top. You can use that as a slow release. So you could just put the compost itself directly on the plants and then it slowly releases every time you water it. Or you could soak up um, the nutrients into the water um, combine it with other things or not. And then that's called compost tea. And you can look that up online for the varieties of compost tea and fertilize your plants through spraying or watering it with that. How long does it take for the worms to eat through? Like if you, if you have a dinner party, right. And, you know, at the end of your dinner party, everybody scrapes their leftovers, excluding meat and dairy, you know, and oil, and oil into the <laughs> compost. 
how long is it before that stuff is just like gone and it just looks like dirt? Well, it really depends on how many worms you have to the, like the ratio of worms to food, right? Like I have so many worms at this point that it would take a very a short amount of time for a lot of food to be eaten. And also the more surface area you have in your bins, the easier it is to spread the food out and then the worms can get to it more accessibly versus it being piled like in the buckets. I kind of have it piled. So it takes them a little while to get up and into the food. Um, but if it's a flatter, sur- there's more surface area, then they'll eat through it more quickly. Um, so it depends on your setup, how many worms you have. Um, I think online they say that, I don't know, like a pound of food is, again, it'll maybe take... I don't even know what a pound of food looks like, to be honest. Um, but let's just say, I mean, I'm kind of always putting my food in there. And um, uh, I would say maybe I put in like from three meals a day. I cover the top of it um, every few days. Uh, and then sometimes, and then it, they'll eat through it. I don't know. I've never had an issue with like, I've never overfilled mine. Um, and we eat a lot of fruit and veggies, so it's not been a problem. Sorry. I can't give you a more conclusive answer. That's okay. (laughs) What do you do with the rest of your compostables? Because dairy and oil and meat scraps are definitely compostable. Um, do you, Is there municipal compost or how do you handle that? So in Minnesota, you can compost from your home and there is municipal composting. In Los Angeles, there is not municipal composting. Um, And that is a huge bummer and something uh, that I would like to change. However, it's kind of a long story, but um, there's not just one waste hauler in the city of Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, So it doesn't work like, uh, it's complicated because there's so many contractors in this particular city and then County. And, um, so currently there's no mandates for things like that. Um, and that's a huge bummer. So I'm not able to, in Los Angeles, I'm not able to compost the rest of the foods the way I'd like. However, I have a how my uh, waste bins work is I have a very large recycling bin, a very small landfill, which is trash, um, and then a big compost. So my three, the way that the three of them look nice together because the compost is the largest, the recycling is the second largest, and the landfill is the smallest. Um, and I think that helps people to understand where my priorities are, our priorities are, and how to sort properly and it's also a good educational tool just a good visual tool to say we're trying really hard to have very few landfill materials household um but yeah so right now they just go in the trash it's a bummer bummer (laughs) it is (laughs) i was hoping we could talk a little bit about who this is right for because i it doesn't seem like it's right for everyone you know like someone in my situation like i can collect all my food scraps paper scraps, meat, bones, everything. Yeah. And that just goes into an outside compost pile along with all the human excrement and waste from the tiny house. Yes. That all just does its thing. Yes. Where do you see 
vermicomposting as really fitting in in tiny houses or just for anybody who wants to live more sustainably? Yeah. So I think in terms of tiny living, um, that anybody who lives in a smaller space, well, first of all, anybody who doesn't have access to um, municipal composting, um, anybody who doesn't have access to outdoor composting. Um, I think in our condo building, we could potentially have an outdoor compost, but we would all have to approve it. <laughs> so that is something, oh that, right. That is something that, that we could do because we don't have municipal just to add that in. But, um, anyways, so, right. So I think, um, anybody who lives in a multi-unit complex, I think this is really good for no matter where you are, um, because it can be as small or as large as you need it to be. Ours are in our coat closet. Here's a little story. Um, my husband, like I told you, he didn't know it was there for like a year um, because he doesn't he doesn't like trash or he doesn't like dirty things. Um, and he definitely doesn't love worms. Um, and once he found out, he had, we'll call them dreams, but they were nightmares about, because it's in our coat closet. Um, so he had these dreams of worms coming out of his, uh, his fancy coat. Um, oh no! <laughs> which is not a real, that didn't really happen. Um, but he, we laugh about it now because now he tells a lot of people that we have worms. He's kind of excited to show them off, but he was uh, apprehensive at the beginning. He thought it would smell. It does not smell, um, unless something is going wrong and then, you know, something is going wrong and you need to correct it. But in general, they shouldn't smell because it's soil being created. Um, and if you're moving it enough, it'll decompose, um, rapidly and they'll eat it up rapidly and all is well. Um, so, but yeah, so anybody living, um, I, Anybody can do this, really, anywhere, um, as long as you have a space that's cool-ish um, and isn't going to get too hot. Um, and again, I started out with a sandwich size box, so there's I don't think space is a restriction. So it sounds like if you can fit <laughs> two five-gallon buckets stacked underneath your kitchen sink, you're probably good to go. Yeah, and even smaller. Again, I started out with a really small container, so if you can just have a small container... Um, and some people, like I have friends in Los Angeles who put them under their beds because that's a cool spot. Um, and they can have, and they have enough space under their bed. Um, so that's, yeah, space is really, space I think is the main construct or. Right. The know, main thing you need. The main thing you need. And then obviously the worms, but. Um, you can get those online, probably from a local store too. What is, um, maybe you could share any spectacular mistakes or vermicomposting fails that you've experienced? Yeah. Um, I did have two kind of epic fails. Um, one is a pretty common one where fruit flies got into it and I wasn't paying attention and they got out of control. Um, that I had to completely, I had to take out all of the compost. Um, so I had to harvest everything, which was a lot of work at that point. Cause I hadn't harvested everything in a while, but it was, so it was probably time. Um, so I harvested everything. I just, most of it was still actually usable. It was just sort of the top where the, the flies were. 
um, and then trapped the flies and started over. Didn't vermicompost for a while. I just put in the bedding, so the paper and stuff. So I started out with that. The other was I was really optimistic the tofu was going to work out because um, it technically fits the qualifications of what can go inside. But I blended the tofu so that it would be easier for them to eat. And I kind of suffocated, it, like it hardened and suffocated a ton of worms. And then uh, there wasn't air wasn't able to get through. And so I killed most of the worms by accident on that one. Um, but even if you have, what, 10 worms left, you can still start all over. Even if you have one worm left, you can start all over. Amazing. Are there, do worms, are they like sexless? Did yep. they, like one worm can make more worms? That's correct. Yep. They have both sex organs um, and they reproduce. All they do is asexually reproduce eat, sleep, and make your compost. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, do they like coffee grounds? They do like coffee grounds. Yes. They love them. Um, the nit the nitrous in coffee grounds, you have to just be a little bit careful because, um, or the nitrogen in coffee grounds, because that is... I don't quite understand all of the chemistry, but you're already creating nitrogen compounds um, with the compost. So you just have to be careful not to kind of like overdo it, I think. That's true of all, all the foods. Just be sort of mindful of drowning them in any of the foods. And if you have the little pucks um, and any compacted food, the easy it's easiest to just sort of spread it out the best that you can. Or break down your foods. Like let's say you put a banana in there, cut up, you know, take the... Um, Take the skin off the banana. It'll help them eat right. up more. They're not, they're not termites. No, <laughs> they're not. They're still these cute little soft-bodied animals. It's going to take them a while. The food has to decompose to a certain level in order for them to eat it. So help them out. And you've been, so you've been doing this for 15 years. How long, yeah. like, have you had the same um, kind of lineage of worms for all 15 years? Yes. Yes, I have. Yep. I brought them from Minnesota out to LA. Um, when I did the, when I had the tofu scare, I did, I did buy another batch as well. And then I put my old ones in there, um, because I wanted the process to go more quickly. So I did have a hybrid of new and old worms in that environment. And that, yeah. Um, so, and then I wanted to say a couple other, so that those are very sort of similar fails, the fruit flies, and then the not enough, not enough drainage so that they, um, drown themselves or the probably suffocating them from the top is not a common story, but now you all know, so don't do that. Um, and then wrong foods. So the acidic foods, the dairy, um, and suffocating them through those different types of foods that will hurt their skin. Those are pretty you know, onions, um, acidic foods, uh, acidic fruits. Um, apples are okay, but you shouldn't put a lot of apples in because they're also pretty acidic. Um, I'm guessing there's like a chart somewhere online that's like, I'm do sure. feed your worms this, yeah. don't feed your worms that. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I will find it and I will put it on the show notes page. Wonderful. 
Wonderful. Um, I did want to share some really cool benefits of vermicomposting that I did not anticipate. Yeah. What are some benefits of vermicomposting that you did not anticipate? <laughs> well, thanks for asking, Ethan. Um, so obviously the fertilizer for plants and edible foods is amazing. Um, I like mine to be, again, almost all our food is certified organic. So it's not, we're not throwing away too many vegetables that aren't, but you know, on the rare occasion, they're not available. Um, but that also means that for all of my herbs and then anybody that I give it to, I can tell them that so that if they're, if that's something that's a part of their gardening, um, life that now they know certified organic (laughs) verm compost. Um, so I've been able to share it and trade it, um, which, uh, as you may guess, living in Los Angeles is one, it's hard to meet people and two, it's expensive. So both of those things are nice. Um, it's been a really great and fun conversation piece just sort of along the way. Um, people are always interested, um, about living more sustainably and more low impact and, Something I feel really passionate about um, having worked in sustainability for some time is that you want to meet people where they're at. And so you never want to chastise people for doing things wrong and always want to make it most accessible. Um, So I call that shades of green. Everybody's at a different shade of green in terms of interacting with environmental sustainability. Um, So worms are always just like a really off the cuff way to talk to people about something bizarre that you can do for sustainability. And if you have kids, you can educate them about ecosystems in general and how they work and, um, and the food, uh, industrial complex and all of these different things that tie into the life of composting. Um, and yeah, so it's been a really good way to actually meet my kind of people in Los Angeles. Um, I'm in this Facebook group that's, quite amazing. It's women, uh, creatives supporting other women creatives. And, uh, I have met maybe 20 people, um, just by being the worm lady in the group and offering up worms and helping people create their vermicompost bins and, um, trying to, yeah, just trying to spread the love of vermicompost because I think it's really neat and it's really easy and it's fun and I mean, honestly, I love worms. I think they're like crazy, interesting creatures that do phenomenal things. So the more love I can give to the worms, the better. <laughs> I think I think you need to create a line of T-shirts that say, I've got worms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll ask about me that. about ask me about my worms. <laughs> Sounds so Hmm, flattering for me. It's so flattering. <laughs> yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure nobody would be turned off by that at all. Um, so besides vermicomposting, you are very passionate about sustainable living. And I wonder if you have some other sustainable, tiny living life hacks to share. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so... You know, sometimes when you go into those networking events and somebody asks you what your superpower is, um, has that been an experience for you before, Ethan? Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Okay, right. So if somebody asks you what your superpower is, and I always say that my superpower is repurposing, um, 
because I love repurposing. Before, repurposing is what got me to vermicomposting because I, um, my eco-ethical jewelry designs are repurposed, um, essentially repurposed vintage jewelry, upcycled jewelry, um, and other eco-ethical materials. Um, so that's brought me to this, into this amazing world of repurposing circular design, regenerative design. Um, but how I integrate repurposing into my life is I always try and buy everything secondhand um, or trade secondhand items. You know, people are always getting rid of old things and somebody's old thing could be your treasure, you know, trash to treasure situation. Um, and as you mentioned in my bio, it's something that I have helped other organizations. I worked um, as a zero waste film consultant here in Los Angeles and worked with film productions to repurpose both um, what you see on camera and off camera items um, on shoots all around the world. And so I was able to help give those items the highest quality second life, which is just something in general that I do in my own life too, is to just help give items of quality the highest second life possible. Um, and also figure out then what to do with it when it dies. But that's a, that's a different story. Um, you know, reusing, repairing, um, and then also reselling, like it's, there's so many people here in Los Angeles and there's, you know, I have all of these, I don't want to say I repurpose plants, but because we have this compost, we create lots and lots and lots of beautiful plants and they grow like crazy. And so sometimes we sell those plants, um, give those plants away. Uh, that's, Again, I talked about that earlier, but that's really fun, a fun way to meet people. Um, and then also distribute more compost and worms. <laughs> it looks like this wrong sword. Um, and uh, then also repurposing. I just get to meet people who really believe in a repurposing system. I meet a lot of people from Europe um, because they're really into the repurposing system. That way you can also get things. Um, I call them eco-superior eco um, items. So like we've bought our furniture. We've... Um, we just bought a rice cooker. Like we, every, almost everything we get is, um, either secondhand or we try and buy the highest quality version of whatever it is with a lifetime warranty so that it's constantly like it can be repaired, um, and we can reuse it or, um, some, you know, if we sell it, someone else can have it repaired. Um, I think that that's really important. And eco superiority just means that it's, was, it's not like fast fashion or um, fast um, consumerism, meaning that it's planned obsolescence so that the item was made to throw away. These are items that you research and you hope that they last a long time. And the manufacturer also ensures that if it doesn't last a long time, that they will fix it. So repurposing and then buying eco superior products that can go, you know, that can be your um, appliances, but that can also apply to your clothes, your furniture, your home goods. It applies to everything because there's a high quality version and then a low quality version and everything in between. Um, yeah, that is, that, that resonates with me in the tiny house lifestyle, just that you don't have 
all that much space for more things. So it, exactly. it kind of enables you to buy less, but when you do buy, to buy higher quality. And you can even do that in your house with the materials that you choose, you know, upgrading from, you know, a composite plastic floor, essentially, to a hardwood floor. Mm-hmm. You know, it might double the cost of your floor, but it would double it from $200 to $400, which even though you're still doubling the cost, that's still a pretty attainable amount of money. So there are a lot of examples in your house, too, where you can really go with a higher quality or more natural material that costs more, but because it's tiny, you're able to access it. Right. And then I would assume that the life cycle of those products also lasts longer. So probably in the long haul, you're actually spending less money because you don't have to redo the floor. Um, You can just repair one panel of the floor. um, And likewise with the other, the select items that you put in there. Is that true? Do you think? Um, It is true sometimes. And it's actually, it's not true other times. Like an example of it not being true is like, I used beautiful shiplap pine siding for my tiny house. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I had to stain it with a stain to protect it from the sun and UV. Um, And I've already had to restain it, um, you know, five years in. And it's not going to be a lifetime you know, that's not a lifetime product on the house. Uh-huh. Um, after, you know, 20 or 30 years, it's probably going to need to be replaced. Whereas there are siding that you can use that are more lifetime or, you know, have 50 or 100 year lifespans. Usually they're made out of metal. Right. <laughs> Depends on the material. Of course, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's really awesome, though. How about you? Do you have any other? What are your sustainable tiny living hacks well i mean along the lines of compost i kind of have come up with this philosophy of like compost everything um if it can biodegrade why not give it a try now my compost is um very hot it's you know thermophilic bacteria because I am u- doing the human manure thing. So there's a lot of nitrogen, a lot of carbon from my food. So I am making hot compost. And, you know, at first, growing up, we never compost, for example, bones. Like if, if we had chicken, those chicken bones didn't go in the compost. And what I've learned is that it doesn't, you know, the worst that's going to happen is that when you go to harvest your compost a year from now, there might be some chicken bones in yeah. it and you're going to have to pick them out. And probably I usually just throw them back into the compost for another year. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so we do, um, we do paper plates, um, napkins, paper towels, um, compostable containers that say that they only can be composted in like commercial facilities. I've almost never found those in the compost. Um, I'm always surprised at the things that I do find, like after a year or two, um, like I will pull out an eggshell that is like so intact, you'd be amazed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, one time we, we had mussels, you know, like the, the crustaceans and like those did not compost. Those, those came right back out two years later. (laughs) Two Um, years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I use a, a bin system and so, 
technically I'm supposed to add to one pile for a year and then let it sit for a year. Yeah. Um, but if it's, if I, sometimes I'll just keep the pile going for two years and then let it sit for a year. Uh, I mean, it's all, it's like iterative, right? It's fun to see yeah. what happens with the compost process. Like it's, it is kind of magical. I have magic. to say. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's the building blocks of life. And, right. term, and in terms of the way food is created and um, something that I think about in Los Angeles that probably people don't think about in a lot of other places is we don't have very nutrient rich soil here because it's med- a Mediterranean climate. And so to have it is kind of like having black gold. Clearly there's oil here. That's not the black gold I'm talking about. Um, but there's, it's not nutrient rich here. So I think about, because everyone thinks about the apocalypse here, <laughs> because they're always talking about the big earthquake. Um, and right. I think, well, I can just grow food because I have seeds and I have this nutrient-rich. <laughs> I might not have water, but I do have this like nutrient-rich soil that I can use um, and bring with me everywhere I go and make food. I always have a um, a, gar- a garden possible. Yeah, this it's making me actually think like we have a lot of house plants and, you know, we have little bottles of plant fertilizer I'm thinking like we should probably have a, just a small scale worm setup just yeah. to create fertilizer for our house plants. Oh, like, yeah. We create plenty of compost for like, you know, if we're going to grow crops in the ground, but Absolutely. just to have like a little container under your sink of like ready to use like superfood for your house plants seems mm-hmm. really appealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really amazing. And also, you you have a lot of plants. We also have a lot of plants, both indoors and outdoors. And you can feel it. When those plants are green and lush and happy, it makes you feel lush and happy. It just does. It, you can't not feel the magic of... I'm looking at a plant that's <laughs> sitting next to my desk that is like crying out for love right now. So I'm feeling guilty now, Erica. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. But now you know what to do. That plant's like, okay. help me. Healthy. You're like, oh, yeah. no, I know how to do it. <laughs> I need to feed you worm poo. <laughs> or any kind of fertilizer. Any kind yeah. of fertilizer. Yeah. You can, I mean, here's another thing too that people can look. If they don't want to start with um, vermicompost, which I do hope people um, will look into. And if people want to contact me on Instagram, I'm happy to help um, or any of the websites. Um, like I'm happy to help give people advice. Again, I am literally not a composting expert in the way that I know how everything breaks down, but I do have experience. And so I can offer that up to you. Well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests that I will ask you yes, is what are two or three resources um, in regards to vermicomposting or just living sustainably that have inspired you that, that you'd like to share with our listeners? So I knew you were going to ask me this question and I was like, oh, this is such a good question, but I can't, I don't know if I have, I mean, Neil, the guy, he's not really a resource that I can point out to everyone. Um, but let's see, let's see. Um, in terms of composting, I did find something on Instructables that I will pass along that seems like a, some, like it was a good infographic and a pretty easy explanation. Um, Great. I would just say look up vermicomposting online. I don't have one resource uh, that I can point people to, um, and I will look 
after this to see if there's one in particular. I looked in advance and couldn't find one that stood out to me. But um, this is going to sound, I don't know if these are resources, but inspirations for becoming um, a more sustainable person when I was younger were books like Walden um, and Leaves of Grass. Those go way back um, to a really sustainable, simple lifestyle. Um, when I met you and the tiny house stuff, this has been, we met a while back and that was really exciting. I was greeting an event and you were talking about tiny houses and I was like, this is so amazing because eventually I too, I'm going to have a tiny house somewhere. I've been tiny living, but I'm going to have a tiny house at some point. Um, so Ethan, you're already a resource, but, uh, because this is your podcast, but, um, I think really the, the tiny house movement and you were the first person that I met and still the only person I know who lives in a tiny house. So you have been an amazing resource and inspiration. Um, these kind of are, I don't know if there's like silly sustainable living resources, but Craigslist free cycle and, um, like Facebook market, those ways to repurpose. I think those, um, and then you just get tied into, um, sustainable communities, which I think are, that's kind of the way to start if you haven't, um, if you just want to dip your toe in. Nice. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm going to think more about the composting. Um, I met a lot of professionals, um, in person. So, um, I, I became certified in um, sustainable resource management at, at Santa Monica College. Um, I met a lot of really amazing um, pioneers in sustainability. So I think if you can meet your local pioneers, um, that's always amazing. Master gardeners are really great people to meet um, in terms of gardening and sustainable gardening. Um, everywhere there's an agricultural campus. There's usually master gardeners. Um, and they've helped me a lot with how much vermicomposting do I put in places? How do I utilize it? What kind of plant is this? How do I take care of it? Um, so that's more about the actual plants in your house. Well, Erica Backberg, thank you so much for being a guest on the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you, Ethan Waldman. This has been such a pleasure. And I look forward to communicating with people if they have questions uh, about vermicomposting. Thank you so much to Erica Backberg for being a guest on the show. Don't forget to head over to thetinyhouse.net slash 062 for notes and resources on vermicomposting. And most importantly, a video that Erica shot of kind of churning, turning through her worm composting bin. And let me tell you, I was really surprised to see how many worms were in there. If you don't like seeing rotting food or worms up close, you might want to skip it, but I just had to see what it looks like. So I was really excited that Erica sent a video of her worms. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.